Alright. In all the years that I've served the Lord, and all the things that I've felt and seen, I really don't know how to categorize or describe what I'm feeling or what the Lord's put in my spirit at this time. All I know is that something new and different is unfolding. The Lord has spoken to me about many things over the years, and there are times the Lord has touched my life in a profound and a dramatic way. But this time, there's something different. There's a different feeling, or there's something unusual in the atmosphere, almost strange at times. Referring to what I'm feeling, I don't know if I can call it a feeling as much as I would describe it as perceiving or sensing that a presence or a being of a spiritual nature is right there, ready to open a door into a realm of the Spirit that I've never experienced before. It's like an atmosphere or a realm of God's Spirit that we've never tasted, touched, handled, or had revealed or opened unto us before. There's something that's beginning to evolve and reveal itself, and the words just aren't there to rightly describe the aura or presence that I sit so close at times. It's as though I can reach out and touch it. I know this sounds strange to the natural man and the carnal mind, and I'm sure it is. But we've entered into a time or a season like no other, and I changed that word there to that, that I've ever been aware of. And this is the scripture the Lord placed in my spirit on this. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And this is taking us into the deep things of God. This is a dispensation in a time and a season, or a time or a season, however you want to look at it. Nobody's ever walked here before. I'm telling you, no generation's ever been in this place. When the Lord spoke to me in 1996 in Greenville, South Carolina, when I saw the waters of Jordan part, the Lord spoke to me. He said, be careful what you do. Walk softly before me because you've never passed this way before. And I'm trying with all seriousness to get people to understand we are entering into the very ministry and dispensation of the Son of Man. This ministry that Jesus had when he walked this earth, it's now. It's starting to grow in its infancy. It's starting to come forth. And God is moving for the people that will take him at his word. I mean, just, there's something there. I can sense it. I can feel it. It's a knowing. It's an understanding. And I can't put it into words that I feel are worthy or adequate to explain what God's doing. But there's something there. And this is what the Lord began to show me. That there's a spirit realm. And it's not a million miles up there. It's all around us. There's a spirit realm all around us that these can't see. That this can't hear. That this natural heart can't understand. It's just like an angel of the Lord could be standing right there. But if the eyes of our understanding are not opened. That's why he said your eye hath not seen. Nor your ear heard. 
neither has it entered into your heart the things that God's already prepared this. The Lord told me the other day, He said, there's nothing major that I'm going to do or have done in the earth that is not predestined and foreordained and already established in my word. It's done. I was listening to Daniel the other morning. I think it's the seventh chapter. But it said the end is for an appointed time. There's already an appointed time to the end. You can't change it. It's going to come at God's appointed time. It's already set in motion. It's already established in the Word. <coughs> and he said in Psalms, my Word is forever settled in the heavens. It's, a, it's already preset. There's nothing you're going to do to change the appointed time of the end. In the second paragraph, that's exactly what what the Lord is opening up unto us has been predestined and foreordained since the foundation of the world. This may be hard to understand, but every major event that occurs in the earth is founded on the predestined will of God. If you read His words, you will come to understand that what He does and the things He allows are according to His divine purpose and His will. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. These words have a profound and dynamic meaning, and they aren't meant to be uh, they aren't meant to be thrown around in the casual manner in which many people use them. God has set natural seasons in our climate that by these seasons there is a control of certain circumstances, certain circumstances and elements. And things on earth that affect our lives. But the same thing also exists in the realm of the Spirit where God has taken us now. And these things, and these are spiritual times and seasons that do the same thing to help govern our spirit, man. Paul wrote of these in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 1. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. We live in a natural, tangible, physical world where things have physical properties or substance. But there is a spirit world that surrounds us. And we can't see it with our natural eye or hear what's happening with our natural ear or discern them with our heart or natural spirit or the spirit of man. First Corinthians 2.14 But these, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And that's what people, that's why people aren't going to get this. They're walking in the carnal mind. They're not going to see it. They're not going to hear it. They're not going to understand it. They're not going to be able to hear the word of the Lord when it speaks. Do you remember the Lord told us a few years ago that he was going to speak? Yes. It would be perfect English. Yes. But people would not understand yes. what he was speaking because they did not have the discerning yes. of the Spirit or they did not have the ear to hear. This is the dispensation we're moving into. This is the season that God has predestined and foreordained. And that's why people are going to go on bound in religion. They're going to go on singing, shouting, praising God, prophesying, laying hands on the sick. They're going to go on doing everything that Paul talked about in Hebrews 6 and 12. When he, when he said, but therefore leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. And he went on and talked about it. Paul talked about all the things we were doing, but he also let people know that was walking in immaturity. 
We were still walking on the basics. We were still holding on to the principles of the doctrines of Christ. And if you go right up above it in 5, Hebrews 5 and 12, he says this, For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, what? Which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So Paul was telling people that served God for years, you're still on the suck bottle. You're still drinking milk. You can't take strong meat. This is strong meat. This is a revealing of the spirit man, and this is the revealing of the dispensation of the Son of Man or the ministry of Jesus that somebody is fixing to step into. I know what I feel. I know what I feel that the very ministry, and God has been telling us for three or four years now that the ministry of the Son of Man was stepping on the scene. He told Christopher back at the beginning of the year, he said 2018 will be the year that the ministry of the Son of Man comes forth in the earth. He told him that. He told me that somewhere probably around March, Mm -hmm. that this would be the year that the ministry (coughs) of the Son of Man would reveal itself. But what God is letting us know now, we're looking for in the maturity And it's coming forth in the infancy. It's got to come forth in the infant stages in us before it can come forth in the maturity in us. But we have entered into it. But if you read this in Hebrews 5 and 12 and then you go to 13, it says, For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Very few people have exercised their spiritual senses. Very few people have studied the Word. Very few people have entered into that relationship with God that takes them into a place of maturity. But it's what the Lord told me on July the 13th, 2015, when He spoke to me and said, When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. So we have come to the dispensation to perfect what's lacking in us. We have come to that dispensation that is going to perfect what is lacking in us. So when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. The Lord told me in 2015 when he spoke that to me, he said the knowledge and the understanding To come to that which is perfect is being given. Now we're going to enter into it. We're going to move into it. So it's not going to be immaturity any longer in the people that are willing to move forward in the working of the Spirit of God. There's going to start being a perfection. And that's what Paul said, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. We may present every man mature and complete. And it's time for us to start maturing. It's time, and it's just like that that Sister Kathy was talking about, how the Lord told her about the different steps of people in their growth with God. Kindergarten, people in uh, elementary, people in middle school, people in high school, people in college, and then people in a graduate course. Well, 
the majority of God's people are still in elementary school. They've not exercised their senses to discern good and evil. There's no spiritual senses. There's no working of the Spirit in people's life. They're just bound in religion. They go to church. They sing. They shout. They talk in tongues. They worship God. And they've been doing the same thing for two generations. And nothing's changing in people. But now a people of maturity has to come forth because this is God's chosen season This is the dispensation that's going to birth and bring forth the ministry of Jesus Christ in the earth as he walked this earth, and somebody's going to possess it. Somebody's going to mature. Somebody's going to grow up and bring forth the revealing of the Son of Man. And that's what Paul said in in Galatians 1, and I believe it's the 16th verse. Uh, I'm not sure, but he was talking in Galatians, and he said, when it pleased God... When he separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. That's what Paul was seeing was the revealing of the ministry of the Son of Man. He was seeing that revealing. Yeah, uh, verse 15, Galatians 1, 15 and 16. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace... To reveal his son in me. What was Paul saying? God has chosen me to reveal the ministry of the Son of Man. He's chosen me to reveal the ministry of the Son of Man. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. And immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. God didn't call Paul to preach to the church. He didn't call Paul to preach to the Jews and God's elect. He called him to preach to the Gentiles. He called him to take the ministry of the Son of Man to the Gentiles. And that's why God is revealing this so he can open this door to the Gentiles like he told us he would. But he's not going to open this door until the ministry of the Son of Man can become activated and put in action among the Gentiles. So, uh, what Paul was talking about in Hebrews 5, and then he goes on in 6, he said, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, that's your basics. That's your basic foundation, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on into perfection of what maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Not keeping repenting and repenting and repenting. Getting baptized and repenting. I heard somebody say, if you're always repenting of something, you don't have victory over it. Right. So, if there's one thing you're always repenting over, you're always having to ask God to help you. It's time to get victory over it. It's time to grow up. It's like Paul said, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child. I understood as a child. But when I became a man... I put away childish things. It's time for people to put away childish things. And that's in 1 Corinthians 13. And I think that's like 6 or 8 through the end of the chapter. So Paul's telling us it's time to put away childish things. So he said, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on up to perfection or maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrines of baptisms. All people want to argue about 
is the apostles' doctrine, baptized in Jesus' name or baptized in the name of the Son, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. He said, put away the doctrines of baptisms and of the laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So he said, put it away. Put it away. Don't worry about laying hands on everybody. That we're coming into the time that he's going to cast out the spirits with his word. Will you lay hands on the sick? Yes. But the majority of what Jesus done was by the word, by the spoken word. He cast out the spirits with his words. He said, therefore, leave the doctrines of baptism, of the laying on of hands. Quit worrying about the resurrection of the dead and what's going to happen to people when they're raised from the dead. People get in arguments on some of the most... uh mundane and silly things and you ain't got no business arguing the principles of the doctrines of Christ. And there ain't no sense in that. I mean, every time I turn around, somebody's posted, get baptized in Jesus' name, get baptized in Jesus' name. And say, okay, fine, that's your basics. Get your basics in order, quit repenting over dead works and quit getting baptized and let's go on unto a maturity and a strength and a relationship with God that will reveal the Christ. That will reveal the resurrected Christ. And the resurrected Christ is not the, the Christ or the Jesus that walked this earth. The resurrected Christ is the mature, perfected Christ. It's where he's come to. What he's doing now is revealing the Son of Man, and that was in his infancy. That was in the early stages of his ministry. The resurrected, perfected Christ is, that's his perfection, that's his completeness. So we start with the ministry of the Son of Man, and we're going to wind up with the ministry of the manifested sons of God. Big difference. And then Paul went on and said, and this will we do if God permit. So the Lord is wanting to take us somewhere. But we are in a time and a season, and I'm at the top of page two, and I'm going to go back and read this again. Uh, but we live in a natural, tangible, physical world where things are phys- have physical properties or substance, but there is a spirit world that surrounds us. We can't see it with our natural eye or hear what's happening with our natural ear or discern them with our heart or natural spirit. Man, or natural spirit, which is the spirit of man. But First Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. These things that transpire around us on a daily basis, they also govern many things in our lives. Ecclesiastes 3 and 10 and 11. I have seen the travail which God had given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He has made everything beautiful in his time, and he also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from beginning to end. God has placed the carnal mind in men that they can't see, they can't hear, they can't discern the working of the Spirit of God. God's blocked them from it. He's blocked man from understanding and having the mind of Christ. The carnal man can't do it. The natural man can't receive the spiritual things of God. There's their foolishness to him. He can't understand them. He can't hear them. He can't see them. He can't desert them. So you can't study it. But you have, Not, it has that's, to be revealed to That's you. the reason people say, well, I can't read the Bible. It's too complicated. Well, you're trying to read it in a carnal mind. You can't read it in a carnal mind because it said men of old were moved on by the Holy Ghost. And the Bible's got to be spiritually discerned. 
And I'm pretty sure that's what it says right along those same lines. Now, there is a spirit world or a realm, and that is where God exists or it's his domain. It is from that domain that he rules and reigns and everything is under his control. This isn't some far-off distant galaxy millions of miles away somewhere, but it surrounds us and it exists and it'll continue on a continual daily basis. And it did so before the physical world we live in was ever created. Hebrews 11 and 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, there was nothing there. God just spoke it into existence. But the spiritual realm's always been there because God is. Mm-hmm. God is. But He placed this physical world right in the middle of His spiritual realm. Wow. Just spoke it into existence. There it is. God said, let it be. There it is. Had no choice. Because he rules everything. He, everything that he, he created is under subject to his word, whether it be physical, whether it be spiritual, mental, financial, everything is in his control. So he set this natural, physical, tangible world right in the middle of his domain or the spiritual realm. And the spiritual realm is all around us. The Bible tells us the angel of the Lord encamped round about them that fear him and believe on his name. So there is a, there's an angel of the Lord that, that camps right here around us. I mean, he's right there all the time. He don't pack up every morning and go home and come back every evening. He's right here. He's in the spirit realm. Well, he's right here to protect us. If you'll remember, I told you about two weeks before I fell off the roof, I was on this front part of the roof. And I started to step down on the ladder, and the, I put my foot on the ladder. It was on the gravel driveway, and it started sliding. If you remember, I told you I seen the angel of the Lord step up, put his foot on the bottom of that ladder, keep me from falling then. So that angel was there. He was right there to protect me. It wasn't God's time. Two weeks later, the Lord let me fall off the roof. But I could have fell off the front part of the roof two weeks before, but it wasn't God's will. Just like when we were coming back from down there at that prison, the angel of the Lord hovered over the hood of that car back in 1984 and kept us. And that that same angel was guiding that destruction that tore up everything from down in, I think it's Louisiana, and went all the way up through the Carolinas. But the Lord backed it up because the Spirit of the Lord in me spoke out and said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Well, that angel had to back that storm up because the Word of the Lord prevailed over anything that was happening. The Word cannot be broken. It can't, God can't change His Word. God can't change it. And when that Word hit my spirit and rolled out of me, God had to cause His Word to be performed, which is, I will give my angels charge over thee, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against stone, they'll bear thee up. God had to move that destruction. He told me two weeks later, I thought I saw a vision. He said, that was no vision. That was the angel of my presence that was guiding that destruction. He said, when you cried out and called on the blood, he said he had to go back and move that destruction out of your path. That's powerful. That's powerful. So through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. 
The Lord spoke and created every facet of this physical world out of nothing. God created the whole earth and all that is in it, and then man was created and placed on this earth. But he was placed in and existed in a spiritual realm, and he had a relationship with a holy God that had taken his abode in him. See, people still don't understand that where God rested was in here. The fullness of God's Spirit on the seventh day rested right here. God just didn't put man in a garden and come visiting. God lived here. This is where God lived. This is where He lived. Why? God created man in His own image and in His likeness, just like He did Jesus. So, all right, I'm about five or six lines above the bottom of page two, where it said He had a relationship with the Holy God that had taken His abode in Him in His full power and dominion over His creation. Because he said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visited him and set him over the works of thy hands? So when God created man, put him on earth, he gave him total dominion over his creation. He had total dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, uh, fowl of the air, however you want to quote it, over everything that creepeth on the earth. Man was given total dominion. Okay. He had access to this world in the beginning when man was disobedient to God's commandment. Then God drove him out of his spirit realm and blocked his access and his ability to take advantage of the benefits of this realm or to even to look into it unless the Spirit of God allowed him to do so. Genesis three twenty-two through 24 And the Lord said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know all good and evil. And know and understand this right here, that the tree of knowledge of good and evil that sat in the midst of the garden, carnal mind. Mm -hmm. Carnal mind. Lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. What did God do? He left him as far as dwelling in him and he pushed him out of his presence. He pushed him out of that spirit realm. And when he pushed him on the outside of that spirit realm, he lost eternal life in the spirit and he lost physical immortality. That's what he lost when he was disobedient. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden. And I'm not sure of the significance of that. All I know is if it was a physical garden, he would have surrounded the whole thing. But because it was a spirit realm that man dwelt in, God just had to block the access, and the access was from the east. I don't know the significance of it yet. Well, that's what I've heard, but... And a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. The Lord didn't drive man out of a physical location. He drove him out of his presence and placed a barrier there to prevent him access to the realm of the spirit. In the beginning man was created and existed in a completely different realm where he does today. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the earth, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That doesn't mean that God has a physical body and that your physical body is the image of the eternal invisible God. Too many people err in the understanding of these scriptures and center on this concept. God is a spirit and a spirit has no definite physical form. Colossians 1, 15-17 Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And in Hebrews 1 and 3, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the, what God created man in. Colossians 1, 15 and 17 and Hebrews 1 and 3 is what Adam and Eve were created in. They were the express image of his person and they were the image of the invisible God. It wasn't that they had two arms, two legs, a head, and a body. It was they were all powerful, all omnipotent, had all dominion, preeminence, and total control over God's creation. That's the image of God. He controls all things. That is where God created man. That's the presence and the realm he dwelt in. And that's the realm he's taking us back to. And that's what I'm starting to feel. That's what I'm starting to sense. It's not a feeling. It's a sensation. I'm, feeling, I'm sensing that presence of Almighty God. There's something being revealed. Okay. It is in this realm and image that man was created. For it is from this realm that man fell. And it is from this realm that he has prohibited access because the carnal mind enmity that causes spiritual death has now taken control of man's mind and life. And only through what Jesus has done do we once again have an avenue and a privilege to enter into that realm again and be able to live in his presence. Ephesians 2 and 18. For through him, that's Jesus, we, ha we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, and this is what Jesus came to do. It wasn't just to wash away our sins. It was to reconcile us back to that realm where the Almighty God dwells and reigns. John 14 and 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The religious world has preached this is salvation or just the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus came to do more that just saved your soul. He came to reconcile man back to that place that Satan has stolen from him. Second Corinthians five eighteen and 19, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us. And that word means to restore back to its original state. He has reconciled us by, uh, to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, not just repentance and forgiveness. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and committed unto us the word of reconciliation. People need to understand that Satan 
deceive Eve, did robbed her from the place of intimacy that God had created for her. And because Adam hearkened to the voice of his wife and was also disobedient, he surrendered this place in the realm where God had created him also. This isn't just talking about personal, carnal, material things. This pertains to a realm where you can walk in the Spirit and what you can possess in relationship with God is through that intimacy and relationship that you have life and have it more abundantly. John 10 and 10, the thief cometh not for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's not talking about all this physical stuff out here. It's talking about exactly what he done to Adam and Eve. But I am come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Abundant life only dwells in the realm of that spirit where God created man. That's what abundant life is. It's dwelling in that realm of the spirit where God created man. When Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No man gets back in the Father's presence. No man is allowed in the Father's presence. He's not even allowed to look into this. Except he come through me. I'm the door. Man come up any other way. Same as a thief and a robber. He said I'm the door. You're going to come to the Father. You're going to come through me. I'm the way. Making sense? Mm-hmm. Not to digest. Mm-hmm. But it just fits where. It just fills in all the empty spaces. Yep. Okay. I'm going to the last paragraph on page four. So we are now entering into a dispensation that will change the course of man in the earth. That's what God spoke in that prophecy that you was listening to last night, September the 9th, I believe it was, or was it, yeah, I can't remember if it's the 9th or the 4th. It's 2016. Uh, can't remember whether it's the 9th or the 4th. But anyway, the first thing God said was this day I changed the course of man in the earth. That was the first thing God said, that prophecy. All right, Ephesians 1, 9 through 11. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, because he's kept his will for man secret. Everything I've just read to you is, is the mystery of God's will for man. And all the church can see is salvation. They can't see, they can't see reconciliation. They can't see restoration. But the Lord spoke in his word. He said that all of his holy prophets have prophesied of the restitution of all things since the world began. So since the world began and since there was prophets, and Abraham was known as the first prophet, as far as I can remember, I don't know, Enoch might have been. Enoch was a prophet. So since the world has begun and there's been prophets, they have prophesied of the restitution of all things or the reconciliation of man back to God since the world began. And all man's ever picked up on is salvation. Because spiritual wickedness in high places has blinded its eyes. So, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, the dispensation of the fullness of times, the dispensation of the rising of the Son of Man, the dispensation of the revealing of the ministries, that's what he's talking about right there. The dispensation of the fullness of times is the dispensation of the revealing of the ministries of God. And I'm going to show you how it comes in. That he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined or predestinated unto him 
unto the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. What God's going to do right now is going to be the counsel of his own will. Nothing else is going to play into it. Man's had his day. The day of man's over with. Man has had his day. He's had his chance. Yep. This will be a season and a time of revelation and understanding that no other generation or dispensation has had the privilege to experience. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. People don't even know what their inheritance is. They don't know what they've been promised. They've been promised to be an heir with God and a joint heir with Christ. And people can't see them being an equal heir with Christ. They can't see it. They can't understand it. Now, going to verse uh, page 5. Never in the history of man has the Lord brought us to a place that He's laid a foundation to reveal the fullness of the years or the statue or maturity of age. And it will bring all things in heaven to a unity in Christ, Ephesians four eleven through thirteen, and he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting or the maturing or the completing of the saints, for the work of the ministry. The ministry has to work through all five functions, administrations. It can't work through two or three. For the edifying, the word edifying means the erecting, the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. There's only one faith, and the ones that believe it are going to come into a unity of it. They're going to come into one mind, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're going to all have the same mind and speak the same thing. And then the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature man unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. And that measure of statue there means maturity of years. Verse 10 in chapter 1 and verse 12 in chapter 4 saying the same thing. This is, all this right here is talking about the dispensation of the fullness of times. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 13. said, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. He said in chapter 1 and verse 10, in the dispensation of the fullness of times, all things will come together in one, in Christ. So he's saying the same thing. It's all got to come together in unity in Christ. When the Lord has set a time or a season for something to happen, it, it relates to something connected to a timer. When the time comes and the timer clicks on and it triggers everything that is connected to it, that sets an event or a sequence of event in motions and there's nothing to change or alter this process from going forward. It's the same thing with God's Word. At that appointed time, it shall come to pass or it shall be fulfilled according to that which God has spoken. This is that appointed time right now. This is it. I'm telling you this is it. If I am wrong, then I don't know the leadership of the Spirit of God. Okay. I'm going to the middle of page 5 where, where the it's tabbed in. The first thing I want to do is get the definition of two words. The first one is heaven. And it goes on and describes it perhaps from the same as uh, New Testament 
3735 through the idea of elevation, the sky by extension, heaven as the abode of God by implication or happiness, power, uh, eternity, specifically the gospel or Christianity, air or heaven. All right, heaven in the Old Testament. Dual of unused singular from an unused root meaning to be lofty. The sky, the dual perhaps alluding to the visible arch in which clouds move. And as well as the higher ether where the celestial bodies revolve. So that is the definition of heaven in the Old and New Testament. The second one is spirit. Okay. Uh, Old Testament. Wind by resemblance breath. A sensible exhalation, figuratively, life, anger, unsubstantial, unsubstantially, uh, unsubstantiality, by extension, a region of the sky, by resemblance spirit, but only of a rational being. The word heaven also, <coughs> excuse me, related to sky. Uh, by limits of spirit, but only a rational being included its expression and functions. Air, anger, blast, all these were different definitions uh, in the word heaven, as well as spirit. Okay, uh, spirit in New Testament, a current of air, or a breeze by analogy, a spirit, human, the rational soul, vital principle, mental disposi disposition, or what spirit are you in? Or superhuman, an angel, demon, or divine God, Christ, spirit, the Holy Spirit, ghost, life, spirit, mind. My purpose for doing this is that is to take a look at both words and understand that in the scriptures the two words can be interchangeable. For example, look at the scripture, Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Okay, with all spiritual, uh, the word spiritual means non-carnal, ethereal, and that means heavenly or celestial, uh, a spirit, concretely or divinely supernatural, regenerate religious, spiritual. As we look at this, we see that it's saying that God has blessed us with all spiritual or supernatural blessings in heavenly places in Christ, heavenly places in Christ. What does that mean? Ask yourself the question, what are heavenly places in Christ? Then if we look at the scripture, Ephesians 1 and 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. I understand this means a position of authority and power, which right hand uh, in spiritual heavenly places which is what Jesus had earned when he became the Christ. So are we going to sit in the same heavenly places described here? And how does one sit in heavenly places? Ephesians 2 and 6, And has raised us up together, that means in the same company of, and has made us sit together, being seated in heavenly places or spiritual realms in Christ Jesus. That's powerful. In reference in Luke, Four and eight and eleven, and that's when the man goes to the feast, and he takes the high seat, and he's asked to step down to the lower seat. There's something I think to the word "sit." That's what I was going to look up. It means to be company together. That's what it did when I looked it up. To sit in heavenly places means to be company together. 
To be raised up together means in the same company of. So in other words, he's saying as if he allows us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, we'll be included in the company of Christ and we'll be grouped together with him. So we need to quit separating ourselves. Seated, it's like... Um, this is paid for. There's something... I'll wake up. Denoting union, union with. Yes. What is it? Oh, this may not be the right thing, but like, what you know, where the uh, always resemblance, the capital of each state. Mm-hmm. That's the seat mm-hmm. of the seat of the power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. I mean, the seat, the so be right. be seated. That means, and he says seated with. That right. Means we are set in power. Set in. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Set in power. Because see that that's that like that Capitol building. Well, that's the building, but the power is in the government. The government, and that's, that, but yeah. that's the seat, the county seat. Remember, yeah. we've always heard that yeah. county seat. That's the that's set in power. Okay. okay, Ephesians three and nine and ten, and to make all, all men see what is the fellowship. Now, I look the word fellowship up right there, and only in this. Right here means dispensation. So to make all men see what is the fellowship or the dispensation of the mystery. That's what the Lord showed me. This is the dispensation of the mystery. Or make men see what is the fellowship which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God. Who created all things by Jesus Christ. But now listen to this 10th verse. I'm right at the bottom of page 6. And what word did you say... Was the only fellowship. Time. Fellowship. There, it means dispensation. It doesn't mean that. It means to be partaker with and every other. But there, it means dispensation. That's the reason I put it in there. Okay. Which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now, verse 10, and look at what this says. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church. Mm-hmm. The principalities and powers in heavenly places, that's where he placed Christ. That's what he wrote in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He's now going to reveal this to the church. To give them an understanding of the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known unto the church the manifold wisdom of God. In other words, he's going to give us understanding of all this wisdom, all this power, all this knowledge. All things are coming together in one, in Christ. Why? This is the dispensation of the fullness of times. This is the dispensation when all the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known or might be give might give understanding to the church. The word known means to give understanding. All right, y'all follow with me? Mm-hmm. There are things which God did in the beginning of the world when he created man and where he placed him, which was in a spiritual realm. Many people don't understand this and have never ha- ha- had these things open to their understanding. And these are things that have been kept hidden since the fall of man. And the Lord is now taking us into a dispensation or a fellowship in Ephesians 1 and 10 in which he will reveal everything that has been kept secret and bring all things together in one in Christ. 
That's what Ephesians 1 and 10 talks about. The Lord told us several years back that all things that he had shown man down through the ages, that he wouldn't let them reveal at the time, like John when the seven-third of the thunders uttered and John prepared to write. But he told him, Revelation 10, 4, And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up those things. <laughs> which the seven thunders utters and write them not. When Daniel had the vision in Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined upon the people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. These are just some of the things that the Lord is now going to be revealed, that is now going to be revealed to us. Because this is the dispensation or the fellowship, Ephesians 3, 9 and 10, the revealing of the mysteries of God. I do not want to get this complicated or for anyone to start feeling weird, but sometimes God does reveal himself in deep things that our carnal mind can't take hold of. And that's 1 Corinthians 2 and 10. For God is revealing to us the deep things of God by his Spirit. So, the Lord has said a lot before us. Amen and amen. I mean a lot. And I even scratched the surface of this. Oh, there's not even written half. 